This show discusses serious and often disturbing content. Listener discretion is advised. What dost thou want? Wouldst thou like the taste of butter? A pretty dress? Wouldst thou like to live deliciously? The goat of Mendes. The devil himself. How to get burned? How to get burned? How to get burned? How to get burned? I don't know! For some reason, I was reminded uh, (laughs) while we were talking before. So we just got the copy of the witch screenplay in the mail. It's so Mm -hmm, beautiful. mm -hmm. Uh, From A24. And it's a beautiful book. A24 sponsors us. And. one thing that I like, I noticed when I was flipping through it is that at the very end, they because you know obviously he has a bunch of notes in there, or whatever, and it talks about the notes is what the action is like when what the original intention of the action is when Thomason is walking into the woods with Black Philip. First, originally she was supposed to be riding Black Philip, pretty cool. Secondly, the shot was supposed to be. Her riding Black Phillip through the forest, and what, and you hear witches flying through the trees, and with huh. their with their broomsticks hitting the trees as they're going through. And the script note says, like, you can finally hear the clickety clackety of the brooms flying through the trees ahead. And I thought, well, that was a great like callback, right, to the to that. And like, if they had pulled that off, that'd be cool. But either way, it's okay. a cool thing. I Definitely love, love a clickety clackety. Clickety clack. <laughs> and with that, welcome to What's Wrong With Us, a podcast that asks, why do I always miss a spot when I'm shaving? <laughs> I'm Jazz. I'm James. I'm also James. And I'm Justin. Oh, no, Justin's back. <laughs> and From the can't... fields, from the furrows. From the furrows. <laughs> <I am. laughs> Dread Bayamoth. <laughs> Lizzie can't join us uh, this evening because she is off enjoying her honeymoon after being betrothed to the devil. Have fun, Lizzie. Yeah. We hope you really enjoy um, Gehenna and Carceri and uh, Tartarus. Wait, wait, I'm married to Lizzie. (laughs) Shit. On Earth. (laughs) Fair enough. So tonight we embark on the unholy trilogy of folk horror with the 1971 Tygon classic, The Blood on Satan's Claw, also referred to as Satan's Skin, mm-hmm. maybe maybe more appropriately titled. <laughs> so written by Robert Wynne Simmons and directed by Pierce Haggard, this film includes several prominent British actors, including Wendy Padbury as Kathy and Anthony Andley as Reverend Fallowfield. Both who happen to be of Doctor Who notoriety. I've uh, I've never seen Doctor Who, but I figured you guys have. Nope, I have. Yeah, yeah not so. when they were on the show. Oh, so I'm I guess not they were that much Who. of a fucking nerd, guys. Come on. I mean, let's be real. You are that much of a fucking nerd. You're just not that much of a Doctor Who nerd. <laughs> it's a whole different level. All right, you're right. I apologize. It is a whole different <laughs> level. You gotta like because I'd say that the four of us are absolutely that big of a nerd, just maybe not about Doctor Who. And so, I mean, there's a really long list of very famous British actors that none of you know because they were all famous before you were born. Um, but the cast is rounded out with Linda Hayden playing Angel and Patrick Weimark as the Judge. 
In this film, an 18th century farmhand unearths a distressing-looking skull while plowing a field. The judge disregards the unsettlingness of this incident, and his inaction allows the town to rapidly spiral into chaos and evil. Soon, the town's children, led by Angel, assemble into a satanic cult to grow and harvest the devil's skin in order to restore the glory of their dark lord. Feels like there's an easier way to do that. I know, you know, we we have stem cells now, uh, but, but so I, I this was pretty fun. I'm hoping tonight we're gonna talk a little bit about witches marks, um, maybe some stuff about influences, a little more folk horror theory. But before any of that, give me your highs and lows. Hmm, highs. So my highs are like Justin referenced that like little demonic Bible. That they have, where they're reading the prayer to Behemoth. Pretty into that. I really like the idea. I really liked the styling of the movie with, you know, the churchyard that they're desecrating with all of the crowns that are made of just kind of like bushes and shit like that. There's a couple of like moments and vignettes that I really enjoy. A lot of the movie is not that great. (laughs) (laughs) I do remember from the documentary with Mark Gatiss where they talked to Pierce Haggard and he talked about how he wanted the camera really low and how um, he wanted it to be like from the earth because Satan is of the earth and kind of driving that point home. And after watching that and then watching the movie again, I really noticed and it was really effective. And yeah, those are kind of my highs. Lows are, you know, uh, the rapes. That's not so cool. And there's like the movie is just so disjointed that it's really hard to follow. And yeah, there's just there's something it's, you know, the, the writing is hacky. Uh, there's like a man in the rubber suit playing Satan. Like there's a lot that's like not great, but when kind of like viewed in a kitschy context is cool, I guess. But uh, yeah, I think the rapes are probably the lowest point. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. I think my favorite part of this movie is the soundtrack. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> I fucking love the soundtrack. We were watching it and I was just like, dude, this fucking rules. <laughs> like it's so weird, but just like, I mean, it, and like, I don't know. I, not that I expect it to be like era appropriate or whatever, but like it's very not. It doesn't feel like it should be in this movie, but I still fucking love it. I thought that was great. Yeah, definitely casual rapes. Not the best. Not the best as it turns out. And, and yeah, totally agree on like, I mean, like you could take out the first segment of this movie and it would be the same movie. Yeah, you could take you out the first, be- fifth, seventh. Like you could take out every other segment and it would ma- maybe would approach coherence. Yeah. Well, do you know that it was originally written as separate short stories? Totally. It made so much more sense to me when I read that after watching it. I was like, oh, yeah, I totally see this as little vignettes getting to a theme. And, and it, yeah, it made so much more sense. I wish if they were doing it, then it would be more like Hagazusa, where it actually had the title card cuts. Took the words right out of my mouth. I think it uh-huh. would have been a lot more structured if they had anything like that. Yeah, because it could be like the the happening and then like the escalation and then like the fucking, <laughs> I don't care. You're so good at this, dude. Like, do the interstitials yeah. for my movie. <laughs> this is why I make movies. The happening and the escalation. <laughs> aren't, aren't those fucking M. Night Shyamalan movies? <laughs> I mean, I feel like, I mean, the first one would be I, right? Just like, like yeah. eyeball or something mm-hmm. like that. Would, anyways. No, I'm getting, getting back to our, uh, to Hagazusa. I mean, this fits right in with our, um, horn, blood and flame 
a pop-up restaurant. We would absolutely have a pop-up restaurant in an old churchyard in the middle of England. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Uh, I would say that my high for this movie is probably but just like the vibe. I love the look of this. I love the setting of this. I love the costumes. Um, I also love the soundtrack. The soundtrack rules. Totally. Um, <laughs> yes. And I, I love the themes that they're getting at in, with, with a lot of this. Um, I think there's a lot of rich material there, but it doesn't always work. I would say that the my low for this is probably the ending. Yeah, uh, right? Yeah. yeah. Like it builds up like lots of tension. There are a lot of threads going on. And then some guy leaps in with a sword and saves the day. <laughs> I love how, how in like the plot Everything synopsis. deflates. Wow. Yeah. Quite literally in the rubber oh. suits case. I love how in the plot synopsis, um, it's like, and Angel accidentally gets killed. And you're like, yeah, it's, that was obvious. Yeah, <laughs> it, that was a weird accident. Um, I often run just chest first into a sword. On oh, it was a pitchfork. Oh, you too? Or she a pitchfork. Pitch yeah, that's right. She was the pitchfork. My bad. Yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. for as campy as it was, I loved all the campiness of this movie. I loved like yeah. the rubber suit devil that made me really happy. I love, I loved the fucking like spirit makeup pack that they like <laughs> cut off her leg. And it was like, per- like a perfect like. Oh, right. Yeah. It was just like a patch of spirit gum. It lo- yeah. yeah, it looks like something I bought at a spirit store and forgot to wear on Halloween. <laughs> like, I think I just have it in the closet. It's, so I actually didn't notice the soundtrack. I'm like kind of sad now. I, I'll have to watch it again and like listen to it a little better. Um, well, there's this sort of like uh, dirge-like, you know, almost classical sounding music. Yeah. Uh, which is sort of running through. And then there's this crazy piping flute or oboe yeah. or piccolo yeah. or something yeah. above it that sounds like a trilling bird or like someone <laughs> laughing. That's like absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, it's yeah. so ridiculous. And combined with those like timpani hits that they use all yeah. the time, the zoom, <laughs> like, <laughs> and, like the piping goes, it's madcap insanity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's right because I, I heard all that, but for whatever reason, it just didn't like make an impression on me. And so I, I want it to though, like being the person <laughs> who's really into sound, like I want, I want that to make an impression on me. I think my biggest low for this movie is like what could have been. I really want to see the movie. That's like the first third of that movie. I want, I want to see what like, yeah, it happens like, to that girl like who goes to the asylum. <laughs> like I want to, I want to see the marriage storyline. <laughs> yeah, I want to see all three of those stories made into separate movies. Totally. Yeah, and and you were saying before, Justin, and I, I super agree with you. Like this is a movie that I think should be remade, and it it should be remade respectfully, you know, and and by someone. It should be remade by a twenty four. um but i I think this is like a prime candidate because there's so much material to work with and there's so many could have been's and i think with the the leaps we've made in not only film but like horror film narratives i think there's so much they can do if they were to remake this and i've always hated like the idea of like shot for shot remakes i never understood the point or why anyone would do that I totally. almost think you could make a shot for a shot remake for this because what what's there like all like the shots all the framing it's really good. Um, it you could just it could be built out like there could be more of it. 
um, it could be punctuated better, and you could bring in some. I really think that you could bring in some more of the uh, the nuance of the storytelling into the acting and the framing, uh, like around the narratives that are happening, rather than just sort of the uh, the straightforward. Here you go. This is what happened. That is sometimes mm-hmm. sometimes feels like the case in this film. Yeah, and I mean, I would like. I would like to see a scene for senior remake too, because the the landscape is so important, and I think that's something I wouldn't want to lose in a remake of this film. And I know we've kind of talked a, a few times in folk horror about like that idea of you know it, it has to take you to like a weird time and place and like a weird othering place. That's why I've been reading um, folk horror hours dreadful and things strange by mm. Adam Scoville. In part two of of his book, uh, he talks very specifically about this trilogy. So it's the, the next three movies we're doing, which are Blood and Satan's Claw, Wicker Man, and Witchfinder General. Um, and so these are the films that have been decided to be like the keystones of whatever the genre is. And so he says that he has this theory of the folk horror chain. And a big part of that is the landscape. And this is a quote from his book. This isn't merely just scene setting or the obvious logic that all narrative art has to have somewhere to act out its drama. The landscape is essential as a first link where elements within the topography have adverse effects on the social and moral identity of the inhabitants. And I think that's so clear in this film from he's plowing the field and finds this like fucking crazy ass skull and no one cares because they're like, whatever you're plowing a field, there's fucking crazy ass skulls, whatever. And then right down to their fucking ruined church. It's it's all so powerful in setting that scene and like the place is just as important as the storyline. Absolutely. And I think this one of the things that this movie does really well and the th- one of the things that I really like about it is in addition to that, just like the small details of the world building that it does. Like, you know, the priest has like a little pet rabbit that he yeah. keeps tied to his desk <laughs> and he's like feeding the rabbit little bits. <laughs> and there's like this weird kind of like close up on the rabbit a couple of times, which, you know, going back to the witch, the rabbit as an agent of evil. I'm here for that. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And little things like that. So witches marks. I got curious about this. So they never actually say anything about witches marks at all in this movie. But, um, but the the leading like through point of the plot is that the devil's skin is growing on these villagers and they have mm-hmm. to basically skin graft it off to give it to the devil so he can be like I don't know, like a, a Sally from Nightmare Before Christmas kind of reanimated puppet, right? Yeah. Yeah. Checks but, out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But so the thing I kept thinking about um, was that idea of the witch's mark. So in like the Salem witch trials and all these situations where you're trying to like accuse someone of being a witch, one of the things they would do to kind of like take away the dignity and agency of women is to strip them naked and go searching for these witches marks. Um, and they have like, they're documented to look like maybe scratches or like blue or red birthmarks. But I feel like if there was a witch's mark, like this is what it would look like a big fucking werewolf patch that you don't even know <laughs> is there. And, and I feel like they wanted to hint at it a little bit because they did do the scene where they like, 
threw her in the water and they're like, oh, if she floats, she's a witch. But if she sinks, she murdered her. Classic witch test. Classic witch test. This is which gonna- is actually a classic witch test. No, totally. Yeah. yeah like. <laughs> I mean, I, I first learned about that from Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I've, you know, that's a complete factual I think that <laughs> I think like, you know, I've been swimming with many witches and they always float. So it's true. That's just that's right there. It's fucking science. That's just fucking science. Justin, sound like you're about to say something. Um, well, I think that sort of these references to like classic like witchcraft and witch finding was included in part of the original script. And they just sort of assumed that people would know that. And then there <laughs> sure. were certain elements that brought in like the book of witches that the producers insisted on basically to dumb it down for the audience. <laughs> so like, oh, they, they might not know that we're talking about witches here, guys. Like we need to like put in a prop so that people will know. Um, <laughs> but I mean, that's fair, right? Because does it hold up, you know, God, how many years later is this now? Do math for me. Uh, almost 50. Club. It came for out in 71. 48. So so it is, it is a fair question to say, like, will these tropes carry on to like a modern audience? And, and so what about you, Justin? Did you kind of like pick up on like those witches marks ideas? Well, totally. And you, you were talking about the skin grafting thing. That was something that they were trying to do to to save a villager from, from witchcraft. Mm-hmm. Um, because when that girl loses her, like, her patch of Satan skin, she gets really bummed about it. Like, she, wa- she wanted to keep it yeah. as, a, as a symbol of, like, her, you know, her, her fiefdom, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things that I think is really interesting about this and might have more resonance in a film, you know, if someone had made this film a little bit later, is how the spread of evil in this community is basically treated like the spread of an infectious disease. Yeah. And I love, I love the idea of like the witch's skin, you know, the, the Satan skin being basically the, the first signifier of, of disease. Um, Yeah. Well, and I love that you say disease too. So I, I went and I did a little bit of research on witches marks. Interesting. There's not a, a ton of very good research on it, but there is one prevailing thought that at least during the Salem witch trials, witches' marks were actually just Lyme disease. And oh. Yeah, because there was um, there's a prevalence of deer tick in Massachusetts, mm, and totally. you know Lyme disease is like a pretty fucked up, stressful disease, and bites from deer ticks like look fucking vicious. And so there's this belief that a lot of what they were pointing to when they said you have a witch's mark, they they think they were pointing to tick bites, which I think is pretty interesting. Yeah, I really. Yeah, that is super gross. Yeah, super gross. (laughs) But I also think that if you're someone who is being paid to find witches, you're probably not that particular when you like are stripping (laughs) someone and like searching their body for marks. You'd just be like, oh. What's that like red mark right there? You, they'd say, "Oh, you just poked me." And it's like, mm, no, I think it's a it's a witch mark right there. <laughs> no, that's definitely the devil kissed you right there. Well, so it did fucking cop move for it did, sure. Fucking cop move. That's totally cop. right. These guys are the original fucking cops. Yeah, the original planters of evidence. Yeah. Hey. Well, no, right there. That's the fucking devil's mark, dude. If you weren't Not shooting at me, where it. did this gun come from? <laughs> um. So. And this is from an article entitled Dermopathology and Historical Perspectives um, in Lesions in the Salem Witchcraft Trials. 
And so just, sure. yeah, it was, it was a cool article. And so just to like get into how vague it is, it says devil's marks, which are also called witch marks, included a variety of skin lesions described as flat or raised, red, blue, or brown lesions, sometimes unusual outlines, which marks were most probably uh, extra nipples. And it was <laughs> believed that their familiars, usually agents of the devil, would receive sustenance by suckling these witches' teats. That's Checks out. Fun. Well, and I like that this is what we get to make movies off of now. Yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> um, the, the other thing you were talking about, like, about um, just, like, being fucking cops. So one other thing I did read about witches' marks was there was also an argument that they could be invisible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, um, I'm sorry. Man, I'm sorry. Good luck, the witch finders. <laughs> so there was an argument. Excuse me, ma'am, ma'am. Um, excuse me, good lady. Uh, that's an invisible devil's mark. I'm gonna need you to get on that stake right now. Yeah, we just gotta burn it. Sorry. So, so it could be invisible, but they could be perceived by witch seers. So oh I'm- hell yeah! <laughs> you know that is some emperor has no clothes shit right there. And then so this is the last like most gruesome part of it and so to prove that it was there they would stick them all over their body with needles until they found a numb spot and yeah look i stuck you with a needle and you didn't move that's a witch mark (laughs) yeah that's how that works i mean yeah that's that's totally that's in line with the like well if they float word (laughs) but so right so the real prevailing theory is this idea of you know nothing's there Maybe if anything was there, maybe it's Lyme disease. You know, we don't have this like super cool furry shit like we do in this movie. <laughs> Which I mean, honestly, if I saw a bunch of ladies with like crazy furry shit all over their backs, I might be like, you might want some Nair because there are misogynists out here. They will get you. Ladies, take care of your witch marks. Take care of your witch marks. You keep them clean and orderly. So it just gets back to this idea of like taking agency away from women, right? The and it's not really about finding a mark. It's not really about, you know, they're witches or they're not witches. It's about humiliating women, taking their clothes off um, and making a public spectacle of them, which brings me to an idea that I saw in this movie that I haven't seen in other folk movies so far. The one thing that this movie did that I haven't really seen in other folk horror films yet um, and so I think that's why it really jumped out on me is like this idea of consent. Because in all of the films we've watched up till now and all of the ones that I kind of identify as folk horror, like if we're going to look back at the wailing, right? All of these people are complicit in their own demise. They have all signed up for this. And like, sure, there's some casualties along the way with like baby Sam and the witch, but like he was fair game because he wasn't baptized. Um, But this is the first time when there is like lack of consent because the the witch's mark that Satan's skin is growing on Catherine without her knowledge or consent. And so they sacrifice her to get it off. And I thought that was like a really interesting thing. And so like, what do you guys kind of think the role of consent is in these films? Well, I think that both, I think Justin hit on this earlier too when he compared it to an infectious disease. So transgression is intentional in a lot of the other movies we've talked about this season, right? Like uh, Thomason makes the choice to sign her name in the book 
Um, Albrun makes the choice to, you know, uh, poison the well. And live outside of society Live outside of society. Well, yeah, anyway. Um, To an extent. Sure. Um, And I'm not really sure what the transgression is in in via. Well, no, he crosses the thing, right? Like, that's how he... He beats the witch. He goes in. He beats the witch. He does it. Right, right, right. That is the transgression. Good point. And so in this, it's maybe making... Like, maybe it's getting back to... Um, I forget, maybe it was, it was Justin or James, I forget which one of you said this before we got on mic about it being influenced by the Manson murders. Yeah. So I, Um, I I read that. Right. You read that. And I think what it's probably picking up on is maybe kind of like the perniciousness of cults and how like people are just kind of like lured in and there's not a lot of like rhyme or reason and like maybe getting onto some like satanic panic shit like it could happen to anybody or you know maybe you'll just take acid at a party and then join the Manson family or whatever bullshit nonsense yeah 100% I think this movie definitely feels like some boomers response to no I um, actually wrote uh, the reverend has some big boomer energy in my notes definitely yeah <laughs> well I mean big the movie old boomer energy I think the movie very easily could be construed as like you know, fear of teenagers acting out. Sure, Absolutely. yeah. You know, no, like, I think that is a central um, theme. Totally. And, I mean, the Manson murder thing makes total sense because it's like, char- you know, Manson is the the devil, obviously, and he's Old like Chuck. luring these teens in to do his evil bidding. Mm. And, I mean, we all remember the part in the, the Manson saga where he was cutting the skin off of uh, the people in his group no oh yeah just me yeah what what yeah <laughs> what I, I think that was in one of the books right totally like, yeah i think that happened just skin grafting 100 percent. yeah you know the the part where uh charlie manson was actually assembled by his followers <laughs> from pieces of skin yeah, that yeah, they yeah, yeah. we did see that really stressful <laughs> patchwork quilt oh yeah at the museum of death in la there's a big charlie manson exhibit as i'm sure you could imagine <laughs> that why there would be when you kind of like walk in there and there's yeah one or two Shit. somewhere around uh somewhere south of San Luis Obispo they you walk into the room where the Manson shit is and you kind of like turn around and there's just this like pretty normal looking at first patchwork quilt on the wall yeah. and then you kind of like take a harder look at it and then you realize that the pattern is entirely swastikas <laughs> that it's just all swastikas like up down left right and center and you're like, oh, yeah. oh. <laughs> yeah, and there was like a little note card that like Squeaky From and all the girls like made that quilt. When they were in prison? No, it's no while before, they were at the ranch. While they're at the ranch. Very stressful. And that's what happens when you plow fields. Don't plow fields, kids. True. From the they fields dug the too deep. <laughs> <laughs> in the Southern California rock, surf rock scene. <laughs> <laughs> they oh. dug too deep in the home counties in England. <laughs> they just went over that furrow too many times. Uh, I think it was 68, whatever. This The same year that like the Manson family murders were taking place, Mary Bell, who was you know, 11, 12, 13, something like that, a teenager living or tween living in uh, the United Kingdom strangled two toddlers. So not only was there this sort of like talk about like what was going wrong with the flower children generation, but there was also like mm. this fear domestically in, in, in Great Britain about like what's wrong with these kids today. Like they're going around murdering people. 
Um, so I think both of those sort of events were very much on the, on the filmmakers' minds when they were writing this this piece. Yeah, and this film definitely achieves like quite a creepy kid vibe to it too. I, I'm, yeah, it I don't feel bad putting it in that category. I definitely wrote in my notes like it's very Brightburn-ish. Where like these kids are just like fucking horrible. Yeah, and they are the horrible. Worst. And I, I think it's interesting too because there is that age dynamic, but the whole time the judge like doesn't want to acknowledge it, and and that's almost that thread of folk horror clash where it's like the uh, the arcane versus the modern. And there's even a, a quote I picked up that the judge says where he says uh, witchcraft is dead, <laughs> and it's just this idea that. Because he's from like the bigger city and they have eradicated these pagan beliefs and and traditions from these areas. But then it's like cropping up because you're digging too deep and, and digging up the, the old bones, which is is kind of cool. Um, it does also make me wonder because we said a couple times now satanic panic, which is very like a kid thing, very disease spread. And does this movie maybe fit better into the satanic panic kind of pigeonhole. Yeah, I mean, I think it fits there. I think that a lot of the movie is, again, literally about teens leaving the the good graces of the church and following the devil that they crafted themselves out of their own skin. (laughs) Out of their own hair. I kind of love that the more we talk about it, honestly. Like, I'm pretty stoked. It reminds me of that book, Crafting with Cat Hair. (laughs) I don't remember that book, but yeah, that fits. James won't let me make him a felt felt cat. He's shaking his head vehemently that I can't. No, felt, no, felt you cannot a felt cat our cat. Our cat. I don't care. Like when she dies, you still can't felt her. Again, I'm gonna felt a mini cat. Out she, of my you cat you have to hair. get her consent oh. first, and I know she's gonna say no. I mean, I've definitely every time we brush our stupid cats, like there's another cat right beside it, and they love playing with that cat that's made out of their own hair. <laughs> So, okay, so here's my new movie idea. That's something between, like, Blood on Satan's Claw and Little Odic, where, like, we make Satan out of cat hair. Megan, uh, get on that. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, Megan, Megan is totally listening right now. <laughs> yes, I'm sure she yeah. is. <laughs> you guys have enough foster cats in your house, so we're going to have many little Satan... Satan totems everywhere. I mean, I think every single one of my cats is a Satan totem. Just yeah, I mean, cats are little, you know, little extensions of Satan. Totally, so. they they are all the devil. But so to think about that too, especially in, so we haven't seen any cats in our folk horror movies yet. But That's true. It it does bring a new meaning to that idea of like cats and witches together again so we like, have seen the devil multiple times so yeah i mean devil. pretty much seen the cats yeah um, this is a this, this movie is set in the 17th century which is before they started bringing cats indoors so the people just had to have totally regular pets like snakes and rabbits <laughs> yeah, yeah naturally <laughs> oh my Hell god yeah. can we talk Damn, about that the reverend catching snakes yeah what's like, weird what about that what the fuck was that about you come from like a tradition of snake charmers or something. Fuck you, dude. <laughs> uh, granted, I did grow up going to a tiny church in the middle of a field in rural California. However, they were not fucking shakers. <laughs> uh, so yeah, which was- are the people? Which uh, which are the people who like 
hung rattlesnakes from the trees God, yeah. and like did shit like that. Those shit, are shakers. Dude, I, yeah. See, I was gonna say carny, but <laughs> I mean that's just that's just my vibe though. I just give <laughs> off intense carny vibes. Well, I was just like, man, they seem like snake people. Like, hey, you want to buy some meth? <laughs> <laughs> it's just like it's like a complication of symbols, man. Like the first time you see the priest, he's holding a snake. But then the girl who ends up being evil is named Angel. Get it? Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. it's just oh, like man. that. Though <laughs> so I, I do feel like this movie kind of, uh, it, it tries to have it both ways a little bit. Um, sure. It tries to sort of sympathize with this anti-authoritarian, anti-patriarchal uh, like, uh, like vibe. It kind of like, it, it coasts along with sort of a countercultural approach right up until the point when it doesn't like it 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 sympathizes with sort of the the people who are afflicted by the the, the, with the devil's skin like uh it it lends like a certain amount of like care to those people and their views right up until the point where they are just enemies to be smited by a judge with a sword yeah also Um, was is that uh is that a, a regular thing for judges to just carry giant fucking broadswords? Like, I mean, maybe in, you know, uh, medieval England. I guess, man, is, is this the Game of Thrones world where if you pass the sentence, <laughs> you swing the sword? Pass the sentence, swing the sword, yeah. That's, oh, shit. They're all ill in pain. Damn, dude. The reason it took him so long to act is because he had to get his giant sword out of storage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. He put it away uh, because, you know, witchcraft was dead. But now that all the people were bent on reviving forgotten horrors, it's sword time. Sword time. I, I was really surprised when it was a sword, too, because they do a lot of work with that prop. It's all, like, wrapped up, and it looks like it's going to be some sort of religious idol that's going to, like, smote down the non-believers with, like, the power of Christ. And then it's just a sword. They did seem fairly compelled. You guys are not biting on any of my things. Talk. <laughs> Talk more. Uh, well, okay. What, thi- what things did you want us to bite on? I don't know. <laughs> I feel like her giant sword. I guess you guys just have like less to talk about than usual. I mean, I, I don't know if it's like less to talk about than usual. I just think that like what the things that the things that spoke to me about this movie are pretty simple. You know, like mm-hmm. it's those couple of scenes um, where they're doing the rituals. Like those are all shot really well, even if they end up a little rapey. I like the details in the in the world building, but like when you kind of get down to it, this movie's like pretty like paints things in broad strokes. There's not a lot of like interesting things happening beyond that. Like those things are sort of like glimmers. So I guess a good way of talking about this movie to me, since I just kind of like shit all over it, I just kind of shit all over it. This movie is a lot like The Witch and Hagazusa where uh but where like the witch is like a ton of things in like kind of uh, a ton of good things and like one or two like kind of questionable things this movie's kind of the opposite there's a lot of questionable choices and a lot of choices that don't really land and a lot of things that are problematic and in the midst of it are some glimmers of what i think is like actual genius like there's like a couple of things in this movie that like really like you can see why this movie is one of those things that like a lot of people that are really into this genre uh, point to, you know, like there's a couple of things in here that are fucking brilliant. And like um, whether it's just some costuming choices or like the thing that I keep coming back to is that little prayer that he wrote for Behemoth 
And it works so well because it sounds like something out of the Bible, but it's just off enough that, you know, um, it's evil. And like the way that that actress says that line and commits to it and she like prays it over and over and over again and chants it. um, That's great. Like that's a great like evil moment and drives home like, you know, that they are having this like communion with the devil. But, you know, in the midst of it, there's like a lot of things that are just like super hokey and like b-movie tropes that are like that don't land amidst the kind of like seriousness that this movie treats them if it was more of a b-movie i guess in terms of like you know um if it was if this movie that's what it is it this movie is too self-serious for how silly it is at times yeah like if it's a movie like uh the color out of space that we just watched recently or reanimator where it's like has these things where you have like these kind of like brilliant moments albeit in a very different setting there and then kind of winks and nods or like has some silliness um it works a lot better yeah you know no and i hear that's kind of what i took away from this movie ultimately yeah i hear that in a really big way and and so watching this movie i saw how this movie has influenced everything that's come since. Yeah. Like I see hugely. I see a lot of Midsommar in this movie. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I see a lot of the witch in this movie. Yeah. And I also see a bunch of chilling adventures of Sabrina. You don't say. Hmm. Hmm. Look, if you're going to go off on a tangent about a teen drama on a popular streaming network, I'm probably going to need another beer, dude. Woo! All right. Um, so, I love The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. I love, Do tell. I love that show. I love it so much. I love how hokey it is. I love how silly it is. And I love how irreverent it is. And so, when I was watching this movie... I just kept thinking about that show, like right down to the rubber devil monster. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. They do have a pretty hokey devil in that show. Because I think that was my favorite part of the first season. Um, who cares about spoilers? Grow up, watch television. Spoilers don't matter. Um, I've seen none of it. That's okay. So at the throughout the whole first season, like there's all this talk about like the Dark Lord and it's Satan and it's Satan and there's like weird glimmers of shadows of Satan walking around on set. And then like a few episodes before the last episode of the season, season finale, um, Satan appears and he's a big fucking rubber goat monster. <laughs> and I love it. And it's slimy and weird and silly and just a big silly rubber monster. Hashtag, <laughs> that's my Satan. That's my Satan. <laughs> um, and so I got a lot of what they do in that show watching this movie. And sure. I, and I know that the comic book artist who did the comic book that the show's based on, I imagine he's like a big weird horror nerd and is familiar with these movies. Um, and, and there's something about the way, for me at least, Sabrina did all of the same things that Blood on Satan's Claw did, but I appreciate it a little more. And I don't think it's just because it's modern. Sure. Um, Justin might disagree. 
Oh, I don't know. I think there's still like some of that. There's there's a lot of that ambivalence. Um, I think that's present in both Sabrina too, about that. It's sort of uh, it 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 sort of buys into this like countercultural narrative, and it's like you know they're they're pro the devil, but also the devil is bad. Like it's sort of mixed messages in its lore, which I think. Yeah. is one of the things that is a problem with Blood and Satan's Claw 2. As a rule, I think I prefer Blood on Satan's Claw. Uh, sure. But Sabrina definitely has its moments, especially aesthetically. I don't even know if I finished the first season. I, I may have watched all of that season, um, but I haven't watched any any of the subsequent episodes. Yeah. Yeah, And getting back to what I said earlier... Um, where I think I, I can see what you what you're picking up on, I think, in Sabrina and Blood on Satan's Claw, and I think I'm with you, Justin, that I like the things about Blood on Satan. The things that I like about Blood on Satan's Claw, I like more than the things I like about Sabrina. And where Blood on Satan's Claw, it takes itself so so seriously. Sabrina, you get a sense that the writers and the cast are having fun with it. And that's probably because it's intended for an entirely different audience and it's newer and blah, blah, blah. And I think that's probably why it like maybe works a little bit better like than yeah. Blood and Satan's Claw. Yeah, and, I, and, and it's definitely like, right, they're completely different shows by completely different people with completely different intentions and completely different eras and completely different you know, political environments. No, but it's our fucking prod podcast and we get to talk about whatever <laughs> the fuck we want to talk about. I mean, I'm pretty sure that Sabrina is is just about the teens leaving the church, right? That's what we're talking about? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I've yeah, never yeah, seen this show. That's 100% <laughs> what they're about. It's like, they're about, uh, you know, she stops going to church. Yes. Um, Please tell me the entire plot of Sabrina, but fake. <laughs> I'm going to tell it to you from memory without looking at the at the wiki. No, no, I, I said uh, tell me the entire plot, but fake. <laughs> but fake. Yeah, it. tell me the entire plot of Sabrina. Wrong answers only. Wrong answers only for sure. <laughs> she has a terrible quinceanera, <laughs> <laughs> or the best quinceanera. <laughs> no, that's the chilling adventures of Selena. Ah, I I really enjoy about uh, Blood on Satan's Claw and specifically about the devil in it. Um, well, actually, I love that devil yeah. so much. I love devil. That was great. Um, I, was, I think probably my the devil. only person in the world who saw that. I'm like, yeah, I want an enamel pin of that devil. And so <laughs> I made it. I must say, I, I love that have enamel that pin. enamel pin you made, and I wear it often, and people are very confused when I wear it, and I just tell them, it's okay, you wouldn't understand. They absolutely would not. It was made for an audience of maybe four people, <laughs> uh, of, of whom I am one. Yeah. But one of, the, one of the things that I really love about that devil figure in, in that show is that despite what the name of the movie may be, He's not Satan. They never refer to him as <laughs> Satan. Um, the the children call him Behemoth, and every other time that I think they refer to to the the devil character, it's as a fiend. Yeah. Once or twice they say like the Dark One. Sure, that comes up a couple um, times. Well, it's just. But I, I, I like the master. idea that it's it's a devil, like it's it's an yeah. opponent. Yeah. But it's not necessarily the big de devil. It's not the capital D devil. Well, Satan's not yeah. in this movie. It's just his claw. Just his hey. claw. Totally. So, I mean, 
why like why or in the first segment where it's like oh here's the claw the first segment had so much to it do you want to just talk about that for a minute i i just don't understand like (laughs) were they just like well i mean we named it blood on satan's claw i guess we gotta have satan's claw i mean i'm not discounting that by any stretch (laughs) no 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 so i read about that so um it it originally had a completely different name which i do not have in front of me i thought you said yeah Uh, satan's skin right like so even before that devil's touch was the first devil's touch yeah that sounds right touch or touch of the devil or some iteration something to that effect but so it was originally called something to the effect of yeah devil's touch it was like the working title on set and then when they pitched it they pitched it as um the devil's skin and that was the one they liked the best and then when it came out of marketing marketing called it the blood and satan's Claw. Claw. and Mm. so once again our marketing agencies have ruined a movie (laughs) (laughs) well i think you know it goes to show that um, to your book's point about these movies not necessarily being horror movies, that they're more aesthetically creepy and, you know, driven by kind of some esoteric and occult world building, they're really fucking hard to market and they're really fucking okay. hard to categorize. That's why they've all kind of like fallen into these different things. Like, I, like, the... There's like points in, you know, some of the movies that are classified as folk horror where I wouldn't even call them horror movies. Like, I think that like Kill List is like kind of loosely a horror movie, right? Sure. Like, yeah. and I think that um, Witchfinder General is kind of loosely a horror movie, and it's mostly just kind of their aesthetics is what kind of like glom them onto this genre, you know? Right. And as I've said a couple of times, I, I think that these are horror movies, if only because. They are subgenre movies because they're not big enough to have yeah. their own genre. So you have to nest them under a genre. Yeah. And the only yeah. genre available is horror. Pierce Haggard had said that he wasn't setting out to make a horror movie. Right. He wanted to make a historical drama with like supernatural undertones mm-hmm. um, and then went and watched some horror movies just to sort of inform some of his choices. Right. Uh, but then because other horror movies were made afterwards that looked at this one and referenced it it sort of like became like an er horror movie right Um, and that's yeah and that's getting back to that kind of concept of like this unholy trinity like these were not these are like the proto folk horror they were never meant to be horror they were just like movies that someone made because they were interested and everyone's like oh i see something here i see something that i want to do and everyone who came after just happened to be in the horror genre. Well, yeah, I mean, like, didn't really this genre um, get defined by that documentary? Mark I think Gattis. we talked about that, right? Like, yeah. he was the bef- first person to ever say it. Well, Pierce Haggard, right, Justin? In that yeah. documentary, Pier- Pierce Haggard mentioned it in a uh, in a 2003 interview with Fangoria, I think, um, and then Mark Gatiss, uh you know, codified it basically in in that documentary. Right. So everything before 2003 um, has sort of been kind of post hoc, like made a uh, a full core movie, right? right? Like, well, and so Adam Scoville says that in his book, like, so that theory of the folk horror chain is not that there are running themes through these three movies, but that 
in pairs, these movies share attributes that have shown up later. Sure. That makes sense. And so based on this kind of like chaining theory, we have developed what we refer to as folk horror. And so getting back to that thing you kind of mentioned, um, I hadn't shared this with with you, Justin, or the audience yet, um, but in this, I'm I'm quoting again from um, Hours Dreadful and Things Strange, one of the points that he brings up that is the working framework of what is folk horror is a work that uses folklore since we were talking about that before what is the line between folklore and folk horror so a work that uses folklore either aesthetically or thematically to imbue itself with a sense of arcane for the eerie uncanny or horrific purposes and I think that's you asked last episode or maybe the episode before, you know, what is that line between, you know, why, why is Hansel Gretel, you know, a folk tale and not a folk horror story. And it, it comes back to that idea of using the theming of it specifically to elicit that response of um, aberration. Absolutely. And I think also folk horror to me probably comes down to almost something like really personal. It's like, we're like, how scared of you of the witch were you when you read Hansel and Gretel as a kid? You know what I mean? Like how scared of the villains in those kind of like folk tales were you as a kid? And I mean, you can even distill it down to like, how scary is the wicked queen in Disney? Like, you know, if she freaked you out and you're a kid, like it's it's the same flavoring. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. It's funny. Uh, Adam Scoble came up the other day, and only after talking about him did I realize that he is the person from whom I first heard the phrase folk horror. Because um, he wrote he wrote an article about about the unholy trinity, basically, um, mm-hmm. in 2016 17. Uh, right. For the for the British Film Institute, and I read that article at the time and thought, oh yeah, here's like he, you know here's an article talking about some things that I know and like. What, what, what is this genre that he's ascribing them to? And then once I plowed into it a little bit, I'm like oh yeah, I see the connections there. Um, but yeah, the, that that guy's a great proselytizer for this uh, for this genre. Yeah. I, I mean, I think he might be the only or. Nothing. He. I'm, I don't want to call him mainstream because he's definitely not mainstream. No one knows who he is except you know those of us who have sought him out. But he's he's probably like the biggest name in the academic discourse of this kind of genre film. There totally. needs to be a bigger academic discourse for genre films. What do you think we're doing? <laughs> <laughs> Literally, what we're doing. We just don't research as good yet because we all still have jobs. Yeah. So support us on Patreon. Support us on Patreon if you want this podcast to be better. (laughs) If you support us on Patreon, we'll all do real work and maybe uh, do some research and publish it. We are the fucking worst. Yeah, guys. (laughs) So there's not a ton to chew on in this movie and I think it's it's for all the reasons we talked about it's like this proto movie and it's it's less about what this movie is and more about what this movie did for everything that came since but it doesn't need to be thrown away so maybe we should talk about how would we remake this movie um 
Dan Harmon directs Cast of Community. <laughs> Fight me, Dan Harmon. <laughs> Got you good, fucker. <laughs> 1v1 IRL. Fight, fight, fight. So wait, 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 wait. I think if we're like doing the community casting of yes. this movie, Pierce is obviously the devil. No, he's the judge. Is Pe- no, 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 no. Pierce is the judge because he's just like crazy is and like. Is Pierce the judge or is Jeff Winger the judge? Jeff Winger's or the is priest. Starburns the judge. Ooh, Starburns. No, Starburns is the devil. What if Shirley was the judge? She is the most pious. Yeah. No, she. Oh, I'm into that. I like Shirley as the judge. No, but but the the girl exposes herself to the priest, and so I feel like there's a good Jeff Winger moment in that. If Jeff Jeff Winger is the priest, yeah, yeah. Wait, but then and is... Britta that makes Britta Angel or Annie. I was gonna say maybe Annie. No, Annie's got to be. Uh, no, Angel. Annie's I mean, Annie's Kathy because she's like so cute and innocent, gets sacrificed. But- Allison Brie is I love Allison so good. Brie. She's perfect. Yeah. I think I think Kathy is probably Vicky, actually. Ha <laughs> ha! Yeah, I love that. <laughs> she just kind of wanders in and gets sacrificed, and then it's like, okay. And Pierce is like off to the side, like, serves you right, Vicky. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> See, yeah, that's yeah. why Pierce my is the judge, because he's like, this isn't real, this isn't happening. Kill Troy me. and Abed are obviously in the village somewhere. Well, I, I was going to say Troy as uh, Rolf or whatever. Rolf? Ralph. Ralph, Ralph, the one that finds him, the one that finds the, yeah. the eye, and then is like, yeah, because he like knows to save what's going the on. other, yeah, totally. He's the only one who who believes. Yeah, yeah. Abed is definitely in the cult, both feet. Um, <laughs> but who is Senor Chang? Senor Chang might be the devil, <laughs> the wild card. Yeah. <laughs> He's the one who throws the girl into the pond. <gasps> he's definitely <laughs> one of the people who is like. He's he's probably the one who thinks about it the most when they're like when Ralph is like, "What are you guys doing?" and Senior Chang's like, mm, "I don't know." Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. Britta can be the the one that gets thrown into the pond. I also think she was the one who was reading from the book. Britta, I think maybe was was the 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 young fiance who gets committed. Yeah, the definitely. <laughs> okay. Fair that's enough. A, that's that's definitely she. So Britta's that makes that her like cute boyfriend sure. that boy. Oh. Tad? Tad. (laughs) We're going real deep on the community cuts today. Yeah. Yeah. And if you haven't seen Community, um, what's wrong with you? Yeah, come on. Seriously. It's the internet's favorite show from 2008. (laughs) Moving on. Yeah, I've derailed this. Um, How would I remake this movie? I would focus a lot more on the scenes in the old church. And I would follow the the kids more, and yeah. I would sort of leave the adults to be baffled. And I would probably have probably have Ben Wheatley direct. I like Ben Wheatley, or maybe Ty West. Oh, you would like Ty West doing this. He he has like good good experience doing like weird culty movies. Possible exceptions there, but yeah, House of the Devil's still great. So and yeah, and so he really tackled that kind of like satanic panic topic. Yeah, quite literally in that movie, right? Yeah, that's what that <laughs> movie was about. Um, I want to see Panos Cosmatos yeah. do a remake of this film. So, so you want even less of a narrative. I want it to you be want it to be even bleak. more image driven. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I want yeah. it to be super thematic. I want it I want it to like 
look like if Panos Cosmatos did The Witch. Like, I want bleak is, and gray and weird and like have the skulls like not even be real animals just like some strange taxidermy and like the fur be like neon pink so Nick, <laughs> Nicolas Cage is the judge in this right oh, yeah. oh a hundred percent yes it's just fucking yeah. showing up being like yeah I just don't really see there being a problem here <laughs> <laughs> In, it's, I, I it's can't decent. unsee it now. It's decent. It's yeah. all that's in my brain. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's really good. <laughs> How did it burn? <laughs> <laughs> it's probably like the scene of him freaking out is probably him like he shows up to like the end scene. Yeah. And he just starts screaming. <laughs> and then he's like. Ah, and like pulls his sword out. Oh, I thought and you were going to say like go Super Saiyan. I mean, that too. Like, <laughs> sure, why not? Like, while we're here. It's Panos Cosmatos, why not? I mean, it, it's yeah. definitely that's the scene. He probably kills a lot more of those teenagers. All, all of it. It's oh, no, no, no. The scene is the scene is like very um that scene in that movie is very like um hallway fight scene in um Old Boy or like it's very like <laughs> single cut like tracking shot, fucking Nick Cage going ham with a claymore yeah. on a bunch of school children. Every scene in the raid, <laughs> yes, several please. scenes in the raid, and it and it ends the same way that Mandy does. Yeah, 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 yeah he's grinning. He's just, just grinning and period appropriate garb. Yeah, yeah. This is just what happened to Red in a former life. <laughs> yeah, yes. absolutely. This is the red cinematic universe. Yeah, totally. Red. I mean, we've already talked about the cinematic universe, the Panos Cosmatos cinematic universe. I'm more than here for that I mean, that they want to work together again. <laughs> Panos Cosmatos, Nicolas Cage, Colin Yao, remake <laughs> Satan Skin. You yeah. are up to the challenge. Yeah. That's what that guy wants to do. He wants to remake movies. <laughs> yeah. Ripe for remaking. What you got, James Baker or Justin? What you got, Justin? Yeah, because we got the community casting from James Baker. Yeah, I, <laughs> I gave my answer. Um, Thank you very much. I can't top that. I mean, we talked about it a little bit at the beginning. Like, I would definitely, if we were remaking this movie, uh, you know, we, we were the production team. We, were, we had some say in it. Um, really break up the, the, like, uh, the section so that they were their own little gems of stories. Yeah. And I think think that there would even be a potential to have that be an anthology um like you have different people work on different sections uh it would be like no now those are those are the the vignettes it's like um satan's skin and then the devil's touch and then the blood on satan's claw those are the three names great but if i if i was going to try to do uh if I was going to have it like be made with like one movie, I was saying I'd, I'd want it to be probably a woman director. Uh, mm-hmm. I was trying to think of like who like who works in things that like isn't necessarily like a horror director, but like has some like contact with it. Uh, and then I was saying uh, the lady who directed uh, We Need to Talk About Kevin. Um, oh shit! Lynn, yeah, Lynn Ramsey. What if you had Lynn Ramsey direct this? That's movie? a fucking great that idea. Heavy. Yeah, we need to talk about Kevin. Known uplifting movie. 
Yes. That would be heavy. And and yeah, and she did a lot of really interesting things with the Miri. She she Lynn Ramsey does a lot of really interesting things with scene mirroring. And I would really like to see that in a remake of the Blood and Satan's Claw. Like, because there's enough reoccurring images with like the raven and the rabbit and the and, and to have those kind of like same, you know, shot and then antithesis shot. I'm sure that you all have seen the uh, every frame of painting. What uh, What are you talking about? Mm-hmm. A what? A <laughs> video who? about her. Known known fans of every frame of print- painting. You guys, yeah, I, lo- I love that episode. Um, it's yeah, it's but amazing. When they're when they're talking about her as an example of a poetical style style of filmmaker, mm-hmm. um, I think this is the kind of material that could really benefit from that approach. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think one of the, one of the things one of the failings in the '70s version that I, I think that's one of the things that I'm responding to is that it feels too literal. It, it comes from people who were used to making sort of historical dramas and procedurals and television, like. These are people who were used to telling very literal stories. And I feel like someone who tells maybe something a little more image metaphor driven would be a better choice to tell this. I don't remember what I heard it from, but it, it reminded me of what you just said. But someone was talking about like haikus where all of the endings were Satan. And that's what I <laughs> It's like, yeah, this movie by her would be like just a really long haiku that ended in Satan. And I think uh, to your point, Justin, I think I was think that is ultimately what I was picking up on. And I think it was both tonally in between like, you know, the silliness and the self-seriousness, but also um, the, you know, what you were saying about it being poetic versus it being literal. And it just really needs to pick one. Right. Like it's not enough of one for it to be compelling in either way. Well, it sets up it sets up in the first section, the first story, let's call it like that. When they're seeing the hand, they're seeing the claw. That is a figment of their imagination. Like 100 percent. The actual claw that is dug up. We know that that is a physical object, but everything else could sort of be like mass hallucination. Like or got uh, rye poisoning. Lyme disease. Yeah. People are all seeing things, but then the devil towards the end is very literal physical thing. And if you just sort of chose like, this is either a literal truth and that's how we're going to treat it, or that this is a poetic sort of metaphorical truth and we're going to explore that. Those are sort of different approaches. And I don't think that the original film managed to like marry those together very well. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think getting back to your love of the devil costume. What does that devil look like? Is he just like a bunch of stitched together skin? <laughs> I love it. He has just the like most amazing hair lip ever. Like op- operating uh, on some fucking, like being animated by the life energy of his cult. Cause I'm here for that. He's, he's like those star Wars aliens that look like bats that have bat faces. Oh yeah. Totally. He looks like, he looks like one of those in a cloak. Ooh, <laughs> Word. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> Um, do we have any final thoughts? Final thoughts. I think we're there. I think we are there at final thoughts. My final thought about this movie is that the parts of it that are good are fucking brilliant and the parts of it that are bad are painful. So I I do have like a a cogent final thought that didn't fit anywhere else. And it's about the ruined church. Sure. So the ruined church is uh, a 
place that is actually called St. James's Old Church in Bixbottom. It's a real Norman church that decayed in the 1800s. Um, and they specifically chose to use that site to emphasize on the atmosphere and thematic use of, I mean, not folk horror because they didn't have that term, but, you know, for this film, which which is part of the defining point later on where we look at that and we're like, cool, that's why it's folk horror because you fucking used a weird-ass ruined church. And to tie it back to Sabrina... I really like how they call their weird church the desecrated church. I'm <laughs> fucking into it, and I'm here for that. I just wanted to point out the thing that I read about the actress who played Kathy and the story about her agreeing to the rape scene because she was wow. so tired of the connection to Doctor Who. And she felt oh, like wow. this was the role and this was the performance that was going to make that uh, association disappear. Wait, really? That's what I read. Oh, I mean, wow. I also read another thing that was like, I think maybe it was Linda Hayden even, but somebody else that was on set was like, nah, she wasn't into that at all. Like, you know, it was like, nah, she kind of got pressured into it. But potentially, I don't know, maybe someone claims that she was like totally fine with it and pretty into it because of Doctor Who. So thanks, Doctor Who. Yeah, thanks, ah. Doctor Who. I mean, there was a whole conversation that I, I didn't really pursue in this episode around young women doing full nude scenes and like yes. the pressure around that and like those ideas of consent about women, you know, having nudity in films. And I feel I feel like one thing that happened in this film was it it wasn't Angel. It was another character towards the end where she was nude and through the Yeah, the girl who was doing the interpretive dance name? to yeah, get the guy to like I, cut I his don't skin think off. she is named. She's not I don't think yeah. she's named, but like I, I felt it was very obvious watching that performance that the entire time she was just trying to cover her breasts with her arms. Like the actress was either like very uncomfortable or very self-conscious or just like did not know how to navigate her space being nude because everything was so unnatural and so awkward and she very clearly wanted to have her shirt back on and it's a a really interesting thing and I didn't talk about it too much in this episode because I didn't do enough research but I have read several articles in the last several months around women just coming out you know on the tail end of the Me Too movement being like yeah, I mean, I was in this movie and I had to get fucking naked and I didn't want to, but that's what you have to do to be in a movie. And, yeah, well, that's and that's also, a culture that needs to change. Yeah, hugely. And isn't that how James Franco got me to? Was like in those like uh, art movie art films that he was making, he was like forcing women to be more naked than they were comfortable with or needed to be, and he would do things like you know, even if a actress is full frontal naked in a f- scene. They'll give her a like a, a like little modesty shield to cover her labia, and he was like not even giving women that and stuff like that, or taking it away. It was I, I'm a little fuzzy on that detail, but like sure. he was being really gross towards women. But he even is. just simply enough to make the argument like, oh well, this role she has to be nude. It's like actresses don't have to be nude for your fucking movie to make its point. Totally, women don't have to be raped for your movies to like make their point. Yeah. Like, that's just lazy-ass storytelling if you say, it has to be this way for it to work. Like, do better. Just do better. Like, write harder. Use your brain more. And, like, if a woman's like, I don't think my character needs to be naked, like, maybe fucking listen to her. You let them improv and write their own goddamn lines half the time. Like, let her tell you why her character doesn't have to be naked. 
Yeah. It doesn't fucking make sense. I feel like I also, I, I might be wrong about part of this, but I, I, I read, I, th- I think I read a thing that was like, uh, the director had a real Rick James moment. Where he was like originally quoted as being like, no, that was that scene was super necessary. And then, you know, later on just being like, no, nah, that scene wasn't necessary at all. Yeah. You know? And it's like he ridiculous. just being like, I really could have shot that rape scene differently. So at least there was some recognition later on. But yeah, like, yeah, the rape scene and the yeah. rape scene is completely unnecessary. Like, it's there's no reason they're they're not shown to be any kind of like sex calls before that or after that. No, yeah. like. It, getting, they use get, it as a distraction technique so they can sacrifice her without her knowing. Yeah, which is and, like, it's so boring. Like, there's a lot of better ways to do that. Yeah. And um, <laughs> sure, everybody getting naked and worshiping Satan is a tale as old as time. But like, you don't need to get rapey with it. You don't need to get totally. rapey with it. And and you don't need to have a girl doing a weird interpretive dance bare chested. Like, I, don't I mean know, that that just... I'm here for. That's what the teens are doing. <laughs> That's what the teens are doing nowadays. <laughs> the kids with these their Snapchats days. and yeah, their TikToks. Their TikToks and oh, they're boobs. just <laughs> boobs out. Boobs out. Anyways. Hashtag that's my scene. <laughs> oh, Jesus Hashtag that's my Christ. scene. Well, well, is this a horror movie? Is this a horror movie? I mean, kinda. <sighs> kinda. It's Justin, remember, is this a horror movie? We're rating it on a British scale. So yes, <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot Definitely. of horrifying dentistry at work. <laughs> uh, no, I mean like there, there's some. Kind of fucked up. Yeah, body the guy cuts his own shit. hand off. Yeah, there's some you know, there's, It's here. very it's transgressive, movie. especially for the seventies. Yeah, you know, I mean, especially for Britain. They they were doing yeah, like in the seventies. They're like, well, there's a rape in this movie. Of course, it's a horror film. You know, I, I think I saw in like some archive I came across that it was rated like um, nineteen and up. Okay, so uh, like because like for- MPAA wasn't a thing yet, so yeah, it was like rated like nineteen and up with ID, which is interesting. There, there's some story that uh, it was going to receive an X rating, and then they darkened the scene with Angel in the church, and that was enough to like get past <laughs> the censors. Well, that's Man, I mean, yeah, that's, that's that's like Kill Bill, right? Where they just made it black and white, and then it was fine. Wow. Like the the scene where she's like killing the crazy eighty eight or whatever. And I mean, like, not to jump ahead too far, but I I do love that Midsommar did not have a rating until two days before it came out. Pretty good. And they like Ari Aster was sitting there, I'm like, uh oh, <laughs> pretty Uh-oh. pretty pretty good. <laughs> pretty good. Um, is it a horror movie? I think so. Like, I mean, I don't, I am so desensitized by my horror movies that it doesn't work on me in the way I think it's supposed to, but like putting it in context of its time and place, sure. Like if I watched this in the 70s, then yeah, maybe, but I, it's very clearly a folk horror movie because it has all the atmosphere, it has all the setting, it has the, the struggle between like the arcane and the you know the modern society and and i think it it also like works with that concept i have of the power struggle where like it is it is do or die like they all they all die in the end that's it it's nothing else so it's definitely a folk horror movie whatever that means i don't know maybe we should talk about that sometime yet what if we do you guys we should do a whole season about folk horror movies. Wait, what? That's a great idea. <laughs> no, nah, it'll never work. <laughs> no. It'll never work. So, who's this movie for? 
Uh, Adam Scoville. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this movie is for, yeah, I mean, like, you're joking, but it's like, movie. this movie is for people that are completionists, you know? Yes. Uh, they're for people who saw Midsommar and were like, what are the roots of this movie? I love this movie so much that I need to see all of the movies that influenced it. Well, you're sooner or later you got to get here, buddy. You got to get here. Yeah. Uh, I think this movie is for anyone who watched the television show Detectorists because they were brought in by like the beautiful bu- bucolic settings. But then <laughs> thought, I wish instead of like subtle touching displays of male friendship, I was seeing more murders and titties. <laughs> yeah, I mean. I, I'm not gonna lie, like I'm already compelled. <laughs> uh, this movie is for Doctor Who fans, <laughs> but only the old Doctor Who that only fucking nerds watch. Yeah, fucking yeah, nerd. yeah. Nobody watches that shit. Get Doctor the fuck out of here. Began with David Tennant. I don't. Uh, I, excuse me, Christopher Eccleston. Okay, I don't, I don't care. I don't I, respect I don't your viewpoint, but care. by God, I will fight to defend it. All right, I don't I, care. I, I don't know that that applies. I, I don't care about Doctor Who. <laughs> Please don't email me about Doctor Who. <laughs> I'm emailing I you right care. now. What's okay? wrong? at gmail.com. Um, did you like Broadchurch? Did you want way more rubber Satan? Check out this movie and less David Tennant <laughs> and, and less, also narrative coherence <laughs> and with that <laughs> nailed it <laughs> um, thanks for listening to another episode of what's wrong with us listen, listen like, like and, and subscribe, subscribe <laughs> on Stitcher okay. Apple Podcast SoundCloud or literally wherever you're already listening to honestly this. like if you you're listening listen to this internet if, the, if you're no listening to this necessary. somewhere and you want to listen to it somewhere that you can't listen to it currently, mm-hmm. just tell us. It's it's probably already we there. Are we are just look. actual whores, and we'll put our podcast You just got to Google that shit. We have. We've tried. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter, because I'm terrible at social media, but I keep trying, uh, at What's Wrong Pod, or on our website, What's Wrong With Us.xyz, where we have all of our news and updates of it. So much content there. Eventually, there's content. I graduate in May, guys. There's going to be a lot of content. Nailed eventually. it. And for our extras, including our super fun Jamestown apps, Jonestown. Whoa. Whoa. You can't well, strike that. <laughs> you know, really, strike that's, it. That's Jamestown weird. is our other podcast. Uh, yeah. That's <laughs> our podcast. It's just Ow. us. Fight me, Harmontown. Jamestown. <laughs> Uh, where we have our super special Jonestown episode. Um, and until next time, what's, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? you? What's yeah. Wrong Guys, we're so good at this. Uh. <sighs> All right. Well, since I'm, I'm still recording, uh, <laughs> uh, you can follow my artwork at Instagram, jlawdev, uh, and link there to my Etsy store where I have blood on satan's claw fiend themed enamel pens um or you can follow my uh weekly pop illustrated pop culture review blog drawn to culture on facebook or instagram um not scoville like the hot peppers which is what i have been saying but it uh, instead Sco- scoville Sco- scoville Sco- scoville nope there's a 
It's not spelled. It's not. It's not the way you would think to spell his, it. His name's right there. You just gotta pick it up, pick it up, pick it up. Scavel. Jokes. We're gonna cut all of that. No, no, that's staying in. Definitely staying there. Do you know who's who's our engineer? That man loves ska. 